We've got a really great conversation for you today. Um, today's interview is with Summit Puri. Um, Summit's just built a, an extraordinary career, um, both in his native India and also across Asia Pacific, Africa, and, and the Middle East. And in fact, he's just got some incredible anecdotes. Um, about halfway through the, the interview, he starts talking about um, his first movement out of India where he worked in Indonesia and the sort of the, the interesting challenges, the different way he needed to approach decisions and organization and because of the different sort of cultures and the different, uh, different countries. Um, he talks really um, interestingly about um, his time in India and the sort of the growth he's seen throughout his career. Um, hearing from someone who's been on the inside of that, that transformation in India from um, the early days of IT and IT outsourcing through into now sort of, you know, the digital services market that actually focused on India itself um, and, you know, how that economy has grown in Virgin. And, you know, he, he talks about... Um, financial services where he's got a lot of um, experience but increasingly now into healthcare recently he was the, um, the chief technology officer at Max Health um, now um, based in the Middle East he is um, the CTO at the Evercare Group and it's really interesting how he talks about this kind of culmination of his career where we can use his his knowledge of digital technologies to try and actually change health outcomes in many of the emerging economies that we're focused on and it's incredible to see the the real sort of um, difference on the ground that technology can make in healthcare. So we really hope you enjoy this interview as much as we enjoyed making it and let's uh, play that interview. So delighted to be joined by Summit Puri today, who is the Group Chief Technology Officer at the Evercare Group. Summit, welcome. Thank you. Thank you. First of all, um, I think the Evercare Group uh, have got a fascinating mission. I wonder if you can just tell us a little bit about uh, about this, this this company and, and its, its mission. Sure. So I think the Evercare Group really is all about trying to provide affordable healthcare for patients in developing countries. And it's all, in some sense, it's a very noble mission really trying to save lives, really trying to uh, you know, improve the quality of life uh, because we've, we know so many people who slip into poverty line because of uh, the exorbitant costs of healthcare. So to me, that's what we're trying to address. Uh, we have hospitals, about 28 hospitals in various countries, uh, you know, India, Pakistan, Kenya, Nigeria, uh, and now Bangladesh. And we're really trying hard to, say, to seriously impact patient safety for the better at an affordable cost. Fantastic. I really want to talk about that because I just think it's it's super interesting and your role specifically and the role technology um, and digital are playing to actually change health outcomes in those parts of the world. But I wanted to step back first because I just think that your the arc of your career just tells a fascinating story and you must have seen so much change within within India where you, you sort of you know, grew up and spent a lot of your working career and indeed you know across Asia. You just must have seen so much change in terms of what it means to work in IT, um, what, what has happened to the, the, the economy um, of, of India and far wider. And I just wonder if we could, um, and indeed going through your career, you know, before this you were the CIO at Max Healthcare in India. Um, before that you've been the, the VP and CIO at Prudential in Financial Services based in Indonesia for a while. Um, starting your career in PwC. But I wonder if actually we could step back even further than that to when you were growing up and uh, you know, going through education in the 80s, 90s, all the way up to MBA, you chose a career in IT. What, what made you choose IT? I think it's just the sheer potential. You know, what, what big impact you know, IT can actually have in people's lives. I think that was the reason. 
uh, I actually, when I, when I was growing up, I actually, you know, was my, my dad was in the police. So I, I kind of, uh, you know, moved, you know, eight schools in 13 years, you know, so during my school formative years. So I looked at, I looked at people across cultures. I, I found, you know, amazing, absolutely amazing uh, possibilities. And to me, that was interesting. When I grew up and became, you know, after my engineering and, and management, uh, I realized that the biggest impact you could possibly do is by leveraging the fast-changing technology that you see around you. Uh, to me, if you look at, uh, you know, the world today, change is the only constant. You have so much that's happening, which could probably be powered by technology, but it just requires our ability to uh, foresee it, to leverage it, to actually uh, really you know use it in the way it would maximize uh, you know the full potential you know technology. So to me, that was the key driver. I've seen uh, you know a lot of a uh, lot of change that has actually gone through a lot of uh, projects, technology and digital transformation projects that have done very well. I've also seen those which failed because it is ultimately uh, a marriage of technology, of people and process. And the change management, I think, is one of the biggest uh, you know, aspects. So to me, that's what is fascinating. That's what really uh, keeps me going. And how could we address those challenges? How could we really try and make this work for the people and, uh, you know, and, the, and the community and the organization around us? Uh, fantastic. And I wonder how aware you were as a student of the, the sort of the, the huge growth that, that was there and was to come in India around IT. And uh, I mean, was that something you were aware of or, or you would have chosen IT at any, any time? Well, I think I was in some sense, you know, if you basically look at the heyday and I think I must say that this, uh, this actually happened at the cusp. I, I graduated from Indian Institute of Management, uh, Bangalore in 98. That was just the time when the Y2K boom was just about happening. We had a lot of uh, interest about uh, about uh, all the technologies that were actually, uh, you know, just blooming and flourishing, you know, in various parts of the world, including India. India, in some sense, kind of transcended the the manufacturing, uh, you know, uh, you know, kind of revolution. It moved directly, you know, from from uh, possibly primary care, you know, uh, industries, primary industries to straight tertiary or quaternary, you know, with the services sector and the IT sector that kind of uh, boomed because they became, in some ways, you know, the uh, the melting pot for for you know virtually every single uh, you know. Um, country, you know, in Europe, US, uh, to provide IT services. They were really trying to uh, do a lot of work, you know, and, and I would say probably is, uh, uh, you know, the great thing was that uh, they, they evolved very fast. They really became much more, because they were English speaking, they were obviously uh, fairly proficient at, at technology. They really uh, have a huge depth of engineering and, uh, and you know, uh, IT colleges across India. Uh, the the talent pool was there. You know, we really had a huge amount, amount of talent pool, which uh, also was adaptable. They were also very very hungry, and and to me that was the good good thing. And to me, I, I realized the the possibilities, and that's how I kind of got into it. Uh, and as luck will have it, I got into uh, PricewaterhouseCoopers after my uh, management uh, degree, and that exposed me to various sectors: financial services, healthcare, all of that. And that's how the journey began. And to me. I've really, uh, you know, enjoyed every moment since. And I think in sort of that first role in, in management consultancy, I think maybe in the sort of late 90s, early 2000s, you know, what are the big sort of some of the big changes you've seen? As you say, this kind of hyper acceleration into a very services driven uh, economy rather than, as you say, sort of more primary export, um, you know, English speaking, um, you know, a very favorable demographic sort of uh, deficit, um, lots of things going for it. But I mean, that brings with it just that pace of change. You must have seen so much change in the nature of business and organizations through your time um, in India. What are some of the trends you'd characterize that? 
I think the biggest change I would probably say is that uh, you know now we are not no longer about sectors. You know we don't no longer are you know actually uh, looking at uh, you know looking at silos. You know in terms of operations, if you look at even uh, organizational structures, you know those seem to be dissolving because you need to be aligned to a to a common vision. You know you need to be aligned to the customer interests, you know to the customer value. Uh, so across organizations, I mean you do need to start looking at uh, finding common cause, finding common areas. And, and break down those functional silos. Uh, the other thing that I've really seen change over the years has been this uh, transcending of, of sectors, which I just talked about briefly, where, you know, to me, the biggest competition I have, you know, in healthcare today is not from hospitals. It's probably from the Googles and Amazons of the world because they are kind of reaching out to homes. They're actually impacting customers directly. And they are obviously augmenting, you know, their 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 you know kind of uh, uh, their lives with technology. They're trying to help them and and you know and enable them through uh, through various technologies. So to me, those are things that you need to watch out for because uh, you can see that uh, it's about it's about somewhere finding the synergies, working together, uh, collaborating with the right you know partners, and then delivering value to the customer. And the, the two industries that that have um, on the face of it dominated your career of being financial services and, and healthcare. And I wonder, thinking about financial services, you know, there has been a, a great opening and access to financial services, to credit um, you know, across India. And I wonder um, if you think that has materially impacted the culture and the communities and, and indeed the individuals and commerce w- within the country. Well, I think definitely it's been it's been very useful. I can't uh, I can actually just say that uh, there's been significant value in the way we've actually uh, you know uh, you know kind of evolved o- over the years. Uh, financial services has enabled uh, multiple communities, multiple uh, you know kind of populations across India, and I'm, I'm sure across emerging countries and you know overall. Uh, you know, we've seen even women empowerment. You know, because we did have a significantly low proportion of women, basically, into the into the corporate sector or also into uh, you know having their own uh, small uh, ventures. Uh, by just enabling small funding, you know, by having cooperative banks and others open up and basically provide small funds to to women, we've seen significant growth of of women entrepreneurship. You know, across across uh, the country. Uh, even even for for you know medium small and medium businesses, we've seen significant benefits uh, because we need to un, you know bank the unbanked in some sense. There's a lot of uh, lot of awareness that actually has got created with the internet. Uh, you have a lot of people basically now using mobiles to get exposed to the various trends and the various uh, new technologies, and that's really changed the whole landscape. So to me, that's what has been really interesting, and uh, I would think uh, the sheer pace of this has been mind-boggling, and I think. Transformative in every sense of the word. Yeah, and again, it's it's a similar sort of thing where you know IT has been the thing that has been able to bring these services. I suppose you, I mean you talk about mobile and you talked about that sort of leap from primary to tertiary um, uh, economy, and, and similarly that kind of leap over desktop into mobile and mobile banking is a, again just another sort of fascinating sort of view. It must have really impacted your your, your experience, and I wonder. That's true of India, but obviously, as I said, you, you've worked you know, across Asia and, and further um, in, in your time. Did you see a lot of regional variation and lots of, you know, sort of cultural shocks in India versus, versus Indonesia? And- Absolutely. I mean, I think there's been significant uh, differences. And I must say that we need to appreciate cultural differences clearly if you're going to succeed in this global world. You know, there's no doubt about it. So I find, uh, for example, Indonesia uh, is, is an amazingly team-oriented culture. 
And, uh, you know, India uh, is like the US in some sense. You know, we basically are much more individual in, in the way we operate. So you need to reorient yourself because you need to start looking at much more team-oriented goals and uh, kind of align yourselves to it. Uh, and I, I discovered this the hard way when I was basically trying to, uh, uh, you know, I mean, I was made be in charge for, uh, for you know, uh, a, a program called Operation Goes English. So Indonesia does not have a large English-speaking population, you know, and, 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 and of course, you've got the tops, top management, of course, uh, very proficient, but in general. So I was basically tasked with uh, improving the education and English skills of 800 operations and IT people. And, uh, you know, given my, my um, you know, kind of typical propensity, I kind of said, okay, let's put 80 facilitators uh, in charge, one person for each, for 10, 10 uh, team members, and, uh, you know, uh, get those 80 people trained for the English Institute. Uh, you know, and I awarded the most, uh, you know, I would say the, the most promising facilitator. It bond, you know, because you really felt that, uh, you know, they never really wanted to be in the spotlight, those individual people. You know, the moment I reoriented, recrafted that uh, that uh, program to make a team-specific goal, saying, which is the team that did best, I found spectacular success. You know, almost everybody was helping each other. They were sharing, they were caring each other, you know, for each other. And they really helped everybody come up. So to me, these are nuances which you appreciate about cultures. Uh, I have seen, uh, you know, in some sense, uh, a lot of a lot of will, a lot of you know willingness to change in uh, multiple countries uh, across Asia, uh, but I think the skills are somewhere missing. You know, in some some countries, including Indonesia, including some other countries like uh, you know maybe I would say uh, we do have uh, Laos and others that we actually did visit you know a few times for new expansions. But I think those are the aspects that can probably be changed because now geography is history. You know, we really can uh, connect each other. And we could have, you know, different uh, different teams operating and, and, you know, kind of supplementing each other uh, as we go as you go forward. I really like that geography is history. That's really nice. I'm going to steal that. Um, it's fantastic. So, I, I, what I really admire about that as well is your willingness to speak openly about um, things that haven't gone so well and failures. And you, you you started talking at the beginning about this marriage between people, process, and technology. I think, and I wonder if you can expand on that a little bit from your hist- from your history and experience, and sort of say, well, you know. What have been the things that have defined success and what have been the things that have defined, you know, failure or learnings um, throughout your career? Sure. So I think, clearly speaking, the understanding of technology needs to improve. You know, if you look at most of us, we're probably all digital immigrants, you know, in some sense, we all kind of graduated towards technology. Um, And maybe 10 years back, we have people who are completely uh, digital uh, illiterates. But I mean, I would say that uh, going forward, we're going to have a lot of people who are coming to the workforce who probably going to be digital natives. You know, the CEOs of the world, you know, the leaders, they all understand technology. They will not fear it. To me, that's where the maximum benefit of technology will come come through. Because today, imagine you kind of give, uh, uh, you know, uh, somebody a, a big bazooka. You give him a big, you know, AK-47 rifle and you tell him, okay, start shooting. Now, this guy doesn't know how to hold that gun. He doesn't know how to basically operate it. What use is that? Similarly, technology, some amazing technologies out there, artificial intelligence, IoT, 3D printing, such amazing technologies. But we have to make sure that the people are trained to use it. We need to make sure the processes are there, the SOPs are finalized, the standards are there, you know, of how we use certain things. That's something that will really maximize the impact. I think that's something which is not happening at the moment. Uh, We do have a lot of awareness of technology. There are a lot of, uh, I would say, uh, uh, technology savvy people out there, you know, especially when they look at mobiles, and they kind of you know operate those very well with the iPads and the you know and the new you know new age devices, but they're not very really technology aware. 
Because across the board, if you look at the old world industries, the conventional you know, industries and conventional companies, they do have a fair amount of legacy and they need to gravitate towards these new age technologies and there is a change needed and there is a process aspect also which needs to be factored. Those things are not being considered. They all want the latest and the sexiest gadgets around and this, the first you know, kind of thing to, uh, to basically you know, start, uh, start using their, in their organizations. But we do need to understand there are aspects that need to be put in place before the full impact can be realized. So to me, those are things that we need to look at. I mean, when I look at, for example, uh, uh, aspects like electronic health records, uh, in, in many ways, you know, if you have information from, you know, captured in a standardized manner, you know, for, for patients, you know, uh, I'm sure there's, there are multiple technologies that could give amazing insights about how do we improve quality of healthcare, how could we really reduce the costs, multiple aspects. But can we get doctors to start adopting it? Can we get them to all start entering information? in a template that we probably set for them overall, I think it'd be very difficult. You know, not many doctors see the same, you know, kind of uh, diagnosis. They sometimes, you know, have different views and uh, not very, you know, I would say not very kind of uh, easy to uh, get them, to convince them to start using uh, uh, gadgets, to start using, uh, you know, uh, desktops and laptops and, uh, and technology, to start entering information in a, in a, in a, in a system. So to me, those are challenges and we will probably need to make technology simpler for them. We will need to start becoming a lot more uh, responsive as, as IT organizations to make this as, as intuitive as possible. Uh, and slowly but surely, we'll also have the digital natives coming to the fore who will embrace this, who will not fight it, they will embrace it. And that would really multiply the impact. You know, that's what I would probably expect you know, over the coming years. It's, it's so interesting to hear you speak because I'd imagine that the kind of the things you learned in IT and IT strategy for your MBA and at school were very much to do with back office systems and to do with code and to do with logic. But actually now you're saying the big constraint on the business is um, user adoption and simplicity of the user interface and the experience. Um, and you know, one of the things that I'm always interested by is this idea that the, the customer experience is both a buzzword, but also um, you know, what, what we, we call this podcast, CXCA, the customer experience ultimately leads to competitive advantage for many businesses. Um, and that, you know, is that equally distributed around the world? I mean, do you see this role of customer experience in every country, even though it might be culturally nuanced, as being often the constraint or the de definer between success and failure of, of the types of IT you're installing? No, I, I definitely think so. And, and for sure, if I was to probably you know, classify, I'm sure, uh, countries like the US, you know, also probably Europe, um, and, and some, you know, some really advanced economies, you know, in, in Asia as well, uh, they are placing uh, customer experience and probably the design UI UX uh, at the center of everything that they do. I think many of the emerging economies have really not yet done that. You know, they're still kind of uh, somewhat more fixated on the on the technology backend, on the information that probably resides in the system. But to be able to capture that information, they will need to make it simple. I think that's what we uh, the challenge is, and that's where design comes in. That's where the in, the power of design, the power of uh, you know intuitive interfaces, you know, comes in. Yeah. Uh, so I, I will I would probably say that in the last few years, that awareness is growing. Um, Apple obviously started it. You know, we had uh, Steve Jobs. I think he was a blessing, you know, to technology uh, folks because he he explained that you know sometimes the customer doesn't know what he wants. He just kind of you know needs to be educated and, and guided towards it. And that's what probably we all need to be guided by. We need to be able to understand the business challenges, the business problems, the 
people issues, the customer uh, pains, you know, the areas that they basically struggle with and find solutions for it. So we have to be solution oriented. It's not about technology orientation, it's about solutions. Finding solutions, not really selling products. Yeah. It's about actually making sure those, those solutions benefit the customer yeah. and enhance value. I mean, you mentioned Steve Jobs there and, and Apple and, you know, uh, whether it be Apple, um, whether it be Google, who recently, a few weeks ago, as we were recording this, um, uh, is attempting to uh, purchase Fitbit, um, be it Amazon. These are big um, organizations who are pure play, natively digital, as you say, who respect and put the customer first, the customer experience first and work backwards, who now are moving into healthcare. Right? And you say you said earlier, are, are your big competitors? I mean, what is the, the, the nature of the sort of the, the threat and the opportunity that someone like that moving into healthcare sort of poses to you? It's enormous. I mean, I must say, look, frankly, data is the new currency in this world. I think we've all kind of seen it, we all know it, you know, now, you know, and I think I've mentioned this earlier, I think 2005, 2006, the top five or six companies were oil companies, energy companies, now top five or six companies are all data companies, you know, Amazon, Google, Facebook, all of these. So frankly, the importance of data is growing by the day, but we need to start re leveraging data for insights, and that's something not very many companies are doing today. Um, Google understands it. I mean, they, they do a pretty good job at, at leveraging data. Uh, you know, I think some of the other companies, Amazon, etc., also are doing very well at execution, you know, and using this data to uh, actually improve operational efficiencies, enhancing productivity, you know, delivering customer value. Uh, I think they have to look at the, the customer models, the, the, the business models much more carefully. Um, and all of us, including healthcare, hospitals, all of us need to start... Uh, participating in a, in a customer value ecosystem in a, in a manner that actually helps the customer. So when I look at, let's say, insurance companies, you know, and I've, I've worked in insurance companies for quite a while, you know, how do we really start uh, enhancing the, or improving the TAT, turnaround times for insurance claims? What can I do to make it simpler? Can I basically provide, uh, you know, low cost loans, you know, and again, to, uh, to customers who are willing to pay, they have a propensity to pay, but they do not have the insurance for that. And can I basically enable them, you know, and then I'm sure we'll get a lot more value, you know, going forward from there. Can I basically start uh, detecting fraud better? You know, I'm sure there are multiple technologies that are there, artificial intelligence, multiple other opportunities to start collaborating, you know, as blockchain and others, which can really enhance value. So to me, you know, it's about the specific aspects that need to be bridged and improved for, for customer value. Uh, that's what we need to look at. Amazon is doing it. They're tying up their back end with the front end. You know, they're making sure the operational efficiencies are, you know, excellent. That's what hospitals will need to do. That's what insurance companies will need to do. That is what really will make them survive and thrive as they go forward. And you have obviously made this move from financial services into healthcare initially in India. Now, I think you invest in, in, in Dubai, servicing um, Africa and, and South Asia. I mean, thinking about the sort of challenges um, across that geography and thinking about your, your current mission at you know, Evercare, I mean, what is the, um, to the extent that you can say publicly, what is the, the real opportunity and you know, what is the sort of the Evercare-shaped hole in the, the, the universe here that you're trying to fill? Well, I would just say that, no, it's not, not, I'd not be representing Evercare in this, but I'm just saying that the intention here is to help people. That's clearly the, the intention. Evercare is also, you know, basically wanting to help across across people you know across across countries developing countries 
and where better than Africa and South Asia. You know, the populations, it's such huge population that we have, you know, the volumes, you know, of, of uh, patients and the healthcare challenges are significant. Uh, if I look at the, the way we basically have, um, you know, tried to address this, you know, obviously it's still early days, I'm just about starting out. Uh, the intention here is to uh, start looking at ways in which we can standardize you know, uh, the detail that we're getting. Uh, I think some sense we probably will be uh, needing to, uh, uh, you know, actually look at data in a much more, uh, uh, in a much more kind of easy to digest form. Uh, you know, I mean, I, I was just giving an example. Uh, we look at, let's say, the US or maybe Australia, some of the other countries, UK. We have, uh, you know, in, in an hour, they probably see three to four patients. In India, you probably will be seeing some something like five to six times that number every 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 hour and maybe more some places like uh, you know let's say an all india institute of medical sciences you probably see almost 100 people in, in one hour and that's the kind of you know experience that you have to kind of have because you have to give them the right advice in that short span of time i would say the same thing happens in countries like you know in kenya or nigeria and others so the volume of data is significant you know if i talk about uh, improving patient outcomes the richness of data that we have in these countries is enormous. You really can see huge possibilities. Uh, it's about us standardizing the data. It's about us cleansing the data. It's about really uh, us trying to improve, you know, the overall insights from data that will help us deliver value to the customer. So I think that's what we're tasked with. We are working very closely with multiple, you know, you know hospital chains across, across the countries and uh, trying to you know get them onto a standardized platform i think there'll be huge value if you're able to achieve that yeah. I, I think absolutely i remember working a little bit with the um, the nhs in the uk and i remember there was always this challenge that that we um, as an external agency always wanted to um, concentrate on the user experience and concentrate on customer experience and see if we can find differentiation and, and improve health outcomes th through that customer experience however they would always say yeah but actually You've all, unlike any other industry where failure is possible, um, you can't have failure in healthcare. And so it needs to always be overridden by a clinical defensibility that ultimately, um, you know, when we use content, when we use messaging, when we use functionality, you know, if, if there is a feedback form and someone sends you symptoms, is that, you know, medical advice? If um, I remember there was a, a case where um, they said that in the UK, if, if someone walks into the accident emergency um, centre before they've actually done anything and then just collapses, then they are deemed to have, have, have suffered that collapse under care, even though they just walked through the door. So there was an existential question about, well, if someone is filling out a form on the website and they do the same, are they, is there a duty of care? And I wonder to what extent the work you do in healthcare is, is more complicated because of the need to always bring it back to clinical defensibility, to bring it back to the fact this is people's health. So look, it's, it's a difficult and complex sector. It's, I mean, we're playing, we're actually kind of, uh, you know, in some ways serving people and, you know, every life, every person is unique. Uh, we need to understand, you know, the person and the, and the you know, his, his specific challenges in a much more differentiated fashion. Having said that, I must say that's where technology can play a huge role. You know, if you look at basically the 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 you know importance of electronic health records of information about the patient over his life cycle, you know, as long as you know record that uh, doctor has, if I was to use something like artificial intelligence, you know, to kind of give us insights to augment the doctor, to act to the decision support system, it's huge. 
absolutely enormous possibilities, you know, because let's say we look at prescriptions, you know, a lot of times, and we, we hear this, uh, you know, misdiagnosis is probably, you know, the number, number three cause of deaths in this world. Um, hospital acquired infection is number two. That's what, you know, the people, you know, kind of mentioned. There's obviously a significant amount of, uh, of areas that can be improved. Now, if you were to probably look at artificial intelligence and say, okay, let me try and use the wealth of data that I have about symptoms to start giving possible diagnosis, which can be further finalized by the doctor. And it saves him time because you're probably saying this is the possible three symptom diagnosis based on the symptoms we've seen. And we encourage the patients to do self-service, you know, and update their uh, in information and symptoms in, in, let's say, a mobile app or whatever. You don't have to basically depend on the doctors or nurses to enter everything for you. Uh, Babylon and a couple of other new age products are basically trying to do some of that. And we've also experimented with some, you know, during my time at Max, and we're experimenting, trying to experiment that here. Intention is to start understanding the patient much faster because then you can provide them the right treatment. You know what, that is correct for the context for the for the that particular point of time so uh, i would say you know the the uh, possibilities are there you look at uh, you know the kind of uh, the kind of uh, you know uh, information that we actually have about the patient um, if you have a complete record of that patient i would say nine times out of ten the diagnosis would be right the doctor for a, for a qualified experienced doctor you know it's just that because of paucity of time because of you know the the pressures and sometimes the lack of uh, you know right questions you know you do make such mistakes so to me it's about augmenting them helping them supporting them in achieving the best quality patient care and that's what hopefully uh, you know ai can do i'm sure there's going to be a significant amount of growth of of uh, you know the uh, connected internet where we actually have combined intelligence pooled intelligence uh, from doctors around the world at some point of time and that would further augment you know a doctor in the field so to me those are benefits that will probably come up once we start sharing information in a standardized fashion look i think i think it's really fascinating i mean one of the trends that i think has been emerging in healthcare is this role of the kind of the quantified self this idea that you know you don't need a sort of doctorate in medicine or or really to understand very much you just need mostly through Internet of Things and wearable devices to collect personal data, allow some clever crunching of that data to come up with insights that, that you know, tell you you're having a heart attack, whatever it might be. And I think that's fascinating. But I suppose my, my genuine question is, a lot of that is driven by wearable technology, watches um, and other devices. Do you see the uptake of wearable technologies in many of the geographies you're dealing with, or you dealing, or not the case? It's it's a mixed bag, you know, frankly. And I think the important uh, you know aspect to consider here is, are these wearables clinically tested? You know, do they do they go through the rigor of testing, which is so critical, you know, for this this kind of uh, you know uh, area? Because I mean, you again, like I said, you know, if you if you go wrong, it could cost somebody their lives. So uh, the intention here is to really look at clinical grade testing, institutionalizing this, making it a lot more regimented, um, having the patients to, you know, kind of really go through the rigor. Uh, that's something that is needed. And that's uh, those those uh, uh, failures are basically talked about more than the successes. And that kind of further brings down the, uh, the industry overall. But the potential is there. There's no doubt. Uh, I would actually say that if I look at some of these uh, some of these technologies, IoT technologies, the variables, they will definitely come of age. It's a matter of time. It's not a question of uh, if, it's a question of when. Um, I would also say that when we basically talk about all the information that's available on the internet, 
you know, uh, the Dr. Google that kind of gives a lot of, uh, you know, advice to patients and sometimes it's probably wrongly so, uh, also needs to be, you know, regimented a bit because uh, we will have some wrong advice going because, you know, it's not one size fits all. It actually requires more personalized uh, treatments, you know, personalized medicine. Uh, so I think there is a need for technology to augment the doctor. It cannot operate by itself, at least for the next 10, 15 years, I don't see that happening. I see a lot of that basically coming together in a more cohesive uh, fashion where we can create something which is really you know, useful for the, for, the, you know, for the patient. So we basically are personalizing the treatment. Uh, we are using the body of intelligence that we have and then you know, advising the right course of treatment to him. So to me, that's what probably will come to and uh, we will have more clinical grade you know, variables and you know, some of that basically further supplementing this journey. I just think it's fascinating and I can't wait to see what um, what you guys come up with over the next few years and, and how that evolves and is it the same pace um, of change that we talked about at the beginning of this interview is also the kind of uh, what we probably can expect over the next 10 years it'll just be fascinating to see see where we're going I just wonder in terms of um, you know finishing up if you were to think about um, your accumulated experience and think about where you were when you were sort of setting out your career and you were to sort of turn around to, to the, the, the son of a policeman who's, you know, currently in Calcutta, wherever it might be, um, you know, thinking about their career and maybe sort of, you know, thinking about, you know, they'd like to be CIO or CTO, they'd like to sort of go on that trajectory. What would be the kind of the, the, the piece of advice you would offer them or the kind of the the, 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 the key sort of um, insight that you would want to share? So all I'll just say is that uh, be open to change and have a constant learning orientation. I think the critical thing is to constantly learn. You might be basically, you know, very experienced in your career. You might have learned a lot over, over the years, but there's always something new coming up. And the pace of technology is such that you can never be, you know, very relaxed and, and never be too stagnant. I think you have to constantly challenge yourself and keep experimenting, keep exploring, keep innovating. So that learning orientation, I think, is the most critical thing. I would really advise all uh, you know listeners because uh, they need to they need to be alive and open to the possibility to change beliefs, to sometimes embrace new habits. That's probably all I'll say. Alive, alive to the possibilities, and I think it's fantastic. And I think that what you're trying to do here is great, and I can't wait to see what happens. And I'd love to catch up again, maybe in a couple of years, and see how it's all has all turned out. Sure. Samarakan, thank you enough. I think you're awesome. Thank you very much for doing thank this. You. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks. Thanks again.